Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day For darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when I cannot feel it. I believe in God even when God is silent. Words said to be inscribed on a wall of a cellar in Cologne, Germany, where Jews hid during the Second World War. I first discovered them via the beautiful song, I Believe, composed by Mark Miller of Yale and Drew Universities. 
Miller's piece is haunting music, especially now in the life of our nation as the words reverberate into the sound of our pain and of our hope. The lesson seems to be clear. Even when light is absent, even when love is unfelt, even when the divine is silent, believe. The question I would like to invite us to ask of one another this evening is what it is that we base our believing on. The story of how these words of a song have been presented over time offers its own cautionary tale about the importance of paying attention to this question of what we base our believing on. Although named of Jewish origin, these three brief sentences have meandered their way in largely Christian circles. While the words have stayed the same, the story behind them has evolved. From a cellar in Cologne, other imagined settings of greater intensity have been proposed from the Warsaw Ghetto to Auschwitz itself. Similarly, the author of the words has also migrated from one of a group in hiding to a 12-year-old girl to a concentration camp prisoner. The story behind the words begins to matter more as the message in front of the words alters. Are they words of defiance? Or are they the utterances of a blind and ultimately lost faith? Are they words for a new theology of God's non-intervention in the world? Or do they express confidence that we have not, in fact, been left to our own devices in this life? It is probably fair to say that each of these variations on the theme has occurred because of the different bases of belief that the people telling the story have had. In other words, as we well know, one person's tale of liberation is so easily another person's story of despair. The point is this. The story behind the words matters because what we base our believing on matters for the life we will then lead. So what about now? What's the story behind the words we hear reverberating today? I can't breathe. Three words. In a year where our breath has been at the very top of the news cycle day after day, you and I live in an extraordinary time of respiratory failure. A time of over 400,000 respiratory failures of those precious human souls who have succumbed to the novel coronavirus that has changed all of our lives with devastating speed and planet-wide reach. Beyond the coronavirus, though, another respiratory failure has become preeminent of George Perry Floyd Jr. His three words... I can't breathe, while among his last have not been the last that we have spoken of him. Emblematic as his life and death have become of the respiratory failure that black men, women, and children have suffered at the hands of lynchers 
and slaveholders and prison guards and police officers, fellow human beings who have held out a baton or a gun or a rope when their calling was to hold out light and love and the divine. I believe in the sun. I believe in love. I believe in God were not the words that those precious human lives heard at their last breath. We have seen and we have failed to see respiratory failures of many sorts for a very long time. What, though, do we believe about the words we hear? And what do we base our believing on when we hear those three era-defining words, I can't breathe? Watch the news, however it comes your way, and you will be in danger of a respiratory failure of another sort, the sort that speaks a lot but says too little. You will hear a man in George Floyd either lifted up to the heights or brought right down to the depths of character and good citizenship. He will either be a paragon of all that we might want America to be or the exact opposite, or depending on which number you press on your remote control or which window you tap on your phone or on your computer. If all we have is Fox News or CNN or our social media feeds, then we will be in danger of basing our beliefs on soundings that fail to offer the kind of breaths for new life that we so urgently need. Indeed, I'm going to trust that if you are worshipping with us tonight, it is because you have an inkling already that this is so, that you are in need of something that runs deeper that speaks of eternal truths and everlasting promises. Wisdom, as this series of services alludes to, is not something we agree on that adds value to our view of the world. It is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It is what she has to say to us, not the other way around. So in that vein... What might it look like if we asked one another to sit with those three words, I can't breathe, holding onto Scripture as the basis of our believing? The particular part of that wisdom tradition that I chose for us to dwell with tonight is the 139th Psalm, which begins with this life-changing truth. O Lord, you have searched me out and known me. God searched for the men and women huddled in a cellar in Nazi Germany. God searched for George Floyd. God searched for every victim of our incapacity to be the good that we are called to be in the world. God searches for us all. Why? Because we are God's first love. Because God does not leave creation to languish, but seeks to transform the jangling discords we hear so loudly in our world right now into something so much better. God moves to find us, to know us, to love us, and to reform us into a divine likeness and image.
What's more, God's movement toward us is not one that first weighs us up. We're not held in the balance as God decides if we are worth seeking out or not. God has already settled that question before we are even knit together in our mother's womb. For it was you who formed my inner parts, says the psalmist. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We haven't said that enough, have we? That George Floyd was wonderfully made. That he was a beautiful black man. That he was a creation of the one who fashioned the heavens and the earth and that there was nothing amiss in George's created being. And so believing that we can say because of our faith, believing that, every time that George was diminished or dismissed or caricatured because of the color of his skin, like the myriad of black men, women, and children who have suffered similarly, those were sinful acts that denied the truth about him that only God has the authority to name. George Floyd was beautiful because he was God's. Just like you are beautiful because you are God's. That alone should give us all pause for thought, shouldn't it? The next time we are experiencing a failure to frame the conversations we are having about George Floyd and his killing, in those moments we should remember the foundational truth that God loved George Floyd as his wondrous creation. And if that is God's first word, then surely it should be ours too. Yet we must go on further into the text if we are to get more of the story behind the words. The psalmist says, Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. What then can we say of the love of a God who sees where our lives are heading even when we cannot. For the God who seeks us out, who searches the cosmos for us, is not a fool to our foolishness. God is not unwise to our lack of wisdom. To be plain, God is not unaware of the racism, of the xenophobia, of the misogynism, and of each of the addictions we are enslaved to that make some lives matter more than others. The theology of the psalm is clear. God sees all that we are and all that we will become. What then can we say of the love of the God who saw George Floyd's time that would come to an end even before he was formed in his mother, Sissy's womb? What can we say of the love of the God who saw that enslaved Africans would jump off the slave ships rather than die to a lifetime of bondage? And to pause for a moment and remember the six million of our Jewish brothers and sisters who perished in the Holocaust. What dare we say of a God who could foresee such a horror as that? 
At first, it seems for the psalmist that all we can say is nothing, for in the end, God is a mystery. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! But then, perhaps sensing the despair elicited by discovering that God is only to be a mystery in the face of human suffering, the 139th Psalm goes to that same place that many of the Psalms go to, vengeance. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. Here, at last, we get real. For in the presence of evil, human beings are so very capable of turning to hate and how satisfying hatred is for us. How powerful rage and anger make us feel. How much we have learned to egg one another on. Whether that be our political leaders or our friends on social media. When they say something outrageous. When they put words to the contempt we secretly harbor. We have lived into that temptation so very fully these past several years, have we not? And in doing so, we have mistaken barefaced contempt for conviction and the carefully calculated belittling of others as strong leadership, when in fact what we have been witnessing is profoundly weak and shallow and ungodly. Put another way, if we are honest about it, wisdom reveals the sinfulness of the society we have built together, both on and offline. So what are we to do with such a revelation? Well, we grow up. We mature. We say to one another that our politics, our sense of belonging and identity as a nation, our public discourse, our children, all deserve better than what we have been offering. God knows where we are heading and loves us all the same. And in that is the invitation to say that whatever might hold us back from honest conversation and authentic transformation among us, whether that be party politics or the color of our skin, needs no longer to be our excuse to have a reckoning with the truth about ourselves. As important and essential as the law is on the journey onward, our need is not first one of legislation or policy, and it is certainly not one of political opinion or party preference. Fundamentally, the journey we must undertake is one of the soul. So let's tell the story that our souls need to hear a man died in broad daylight with a knee pressed into his neck, belonging to another man who was sworn to serve and protect his victim. What's more, we know 
that this is not merely one death, one single act of sin, but one of a million acts of violence, one sin of century upon century of sins. For the good of our souls, we need to ask how it was that we strayed so very far from the beautiful, wondrous, beloved vision of human being that God intends for us to live into. It seems to me that we have been right there with the psalmist, that we have given in to the perfect hatred, which is utterly imperfect in the eyes of God. We have given in to contempt when we have been called to compassion. And we have much rather preferred to be right about our view of the world than to be right about our living within it. So what do we do with this mess we have made of this one precious and wondrous life? Wisdom says this. We go back to the start and recall with contrite and forgiving hearts that in the beginning it was the God of love who sought us out. Search me, O God, and know my heart is how the psalmist brings the song to its close. Test me and know my thoughts. As someone who has taken vows to preach the gospel and serve God in God's church, it doesn't matter to me who you vote for or who you love. It doesn't matter to me if you are a fiscal conservative or a post-capitalism socialist. It doesn't matter to me if you identify as male, female, or trans. It doesn't matter to me what your skin color is or how your words sound when they come out of your mouth. What does matter to me is that you might discover the fullness of your belovedness in God's eyes. That you might come to know the depths of that love, the love of the one who has been searching for you your whole life long and will seek you out every day your body has breath. From this point forward, it matters to me that you might encounter the divine one this side of the veil and that you might be changed because of it and that I might be changed too. What's the story behind this story we are all living in? It is that the story is not over yet, because God is not finished with us yet. So we had better get up off our haunches and be the beloved change our Lord and our Creator calls for us to be. George Floyd can't breathe anymore. So all of us will have to breathe on his behalf.